Good morning, everyone. In a few moments, I'm going to be reading from Mark chapter 9. And if you have access to a Bible, it would be really good to have the passage open in front of you and indeed to keep it open as I speak in a moment. If you were with us last week, you will remember that we were looking at the Transfiguration. That's the instant where Jesus's clothes became dazzling white and the apostles heard a voice from a cloud saying, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. And we're told that after that had happened, Jesus came down the mountain with the three disciples who were with him. That's Peter, James and John, the ones who'd witnessed the transfiguration. And what we're going to read in a moment is Mark's account of what happened next. But before we do that, we need to pray, as we usually do, in order to ask God's help in understanding and applying what we're reading. So let's pray, shall we? Father, we pray that you would teach us this morning. Please help us to learn from Mark's gospel and then to apply what we learn in our lives. Amen. Okay, Mark chapter 9, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus's return to uh, from the mountain uh, was immediately a return to controversy, to different reactions to him and to problems. We first of all learn that the nine disciples who he'd left behind were arguing with some teachers of the law, some scribes. 
We don't know specifically what the argument was about, but it may have been that the scribes were doubting the disciples' credentials as healers. And we also know that when the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Again, we don't know specifically why it was they were so overwhelmed. Perhaps they'd heard about his teaching. Perhaps they'd seen some of his healings. But what we do know is that Jesus immediately seized control of the situation. Verse 16. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. And as you heard a few moments ago, a man in the crowd came forward and said that he had a demon-possessed son and that he'd asked the disciples to drive out the demon, but they couldn't do it. And the boy's situation was clearly pretty desperate. We learn that whenever the demon seized him, quotes, it throws him to the ground, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. And of course, when he was introduced to Jesus, he gave a demonstration of exactly that. Furthermore, in answer to Jesus's question, the father said that this had been going on since he was a child, clearly a long time. Now, a number of you may immediately notice that the symptoms that are described correspond to those of epilepsy. And that was a disease that was known in the ancient world. However, the man ascribed what was happening to possession by a demon. And Jesus endorsed that view. And two things need to be said about that. First of all, the Bible does not teach that epilepsy is caused by demon possession. No, all that's being said here is that in this case, symptoms which correspond to those of epilepsy did have as their underlying cause possession by a demon. And then secondly, we need to note that the New Testament frequently talks about demon possession, but it really doesn't tell us much about it. So we need to take it seriously in the sense that we recognise that it, it exists, but we shouldn't take an undue interest in it. That would be unhealthy. And as we shall see as we read on, it would be unnecessary. So how did Jesus respond to this situation in which he found himself? Verse 19. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? That's pretty strong. Jesus sounds exasperated, even burdened. But who was he exasperated with? Uh, was it the father who brought his son? Well, that seems pretty unlikely in the light of what happened next. Was it the scribes? Well, maybe. But the immediate context is the statement that the disciples were unable to heal, to drive out the demon. And particularly in the light of what Jesus said subsequently to his disciples, it appears that he was exasperated with them. Something rather strange had happened. If you've been with us throughout this sermon series, you will, I hope, remember that sometime before this, 
Jesus had taken the 12 apostles and sent them out two by two into the villages of Galilee. And in that context, he had given them authority over evil spirits. This is all in Mark chapter 6. And we're told that they exercised that authority and did indeed drive out many demons. So why couldn't they drive this one out? What had happened? The disciples clearly didn't know because they asked Jesus why they couldn't do it. And what did Jesus reply? Verse 29. This kind can come out only by prayer. When I first read that, I imagined that what Jesus was saying is that there are some kinds of demon uh, that are the easy kind, but then there are others, the tougher sort of demon, uh, that can only come out through prayer. But of course, that, that isn't what Jesus is saying at all. Uh, the Bible doesn't give us any justification for seeing some kind of hierarchy of power amongst demons. And the idea that some of them can come out without prayer is clearly not true. No, Jesus was using the phrase this kind uh, to refer to this kind of, of, of thing. Uh, this kind of thing, these demons can only come out by prayer. And here's the key point. The disciples clearly hadn't prayed. Oh dear. After all Jesus' teaching and all that he had done, the disciples had sought to heal this boy without reference to Jesus. Matthew, in his account of this incident, says that Jesus rebuked their unbelief. You see, unbelief can take many forms. In particular, it can comprise us not believing that Jesus is able to heal, able to drive out demons, able to do other things. That's one form of unbelief. But it can also take the form of not believing that we need his help. And that was the trap into which the disciples had fallen. They had sought to do the work of God, driving out the demon, without the help of Jesus. That's why they hadn't prayed. But, but why had they done that? What had, what had happened? Had they become arrogant? Had they become complacent, perhaps, or perhaps simply not thought? We don't know. But we need to take heed of what happened, because we can fall into those traps. We can become arrogant. We can become complacent. We can act without thought. Jesus, of course, referred to this unbelieving generation, but he wasn't saying that the generation in which he lived was worse than those that had gone before, or for that matter, worse than those that follow. No, every generation is an unbelieving generation. In fact, Jesus's words here contain an echo of what was said about the ancient Israelites at the time of the Exodus. Take a look at Deuteronomy 32 afterwards if you want to see that. Every generation is an unbelieving generation, and that includes our generation. And there's something really important to note here. Unbelief 
is not simply something that manifests itself in those who reject Jesus. No, it manifested itself in the apostles who followed Jesus. And if it manifested itself in them, it can certainly manifest itself in, in us. I know in myself that very often I find myself attempting to do things without seeking God's help. And that isn't just sort of everyday things. I've sometimes found myself halfway through preparing a sermon only to realise that I haven't been praying as I go along. I haven't been seeking God's help in understanding and working out what he wants me to say. Now, of course, your situation will be different. You'll be called upon to serve God in different ways. But I suspect that most of us have this problem to a greater or lesser extent. We end up being self-reliant, not having faith in God. And we need to examine ourselves and be honest with ourselves. And we need to repent and turn back to Jesus. And if you need an incentive to do that, I think verse 19 provides it. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Our unbelief, our self-reliance, exasperates and burdens Jesus. Isn't that dreadful? I suggest we need to reflect on that point. But for now, Let's go back to the situation that confronted Jesus. You'll recall that the boy was brought to him and immediately went into a, a fit. And that resulted in one of the most memorable exchanges in the whole Bible. This is verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The man was, was, clearly, was clearly desperate. He, his child had been in this condition a long time. He had come to the disciples hoping that they could help him and they couldn't. When I originally read this, I imagined that Jesus's response was suggesting that the father needed to do something more. In other words, I imagined that the father was saying, uh, if you can help us, please do. And Jesus was saying, it's not a case of me helping. It's a case of what you can do. You need greater faith for this healing to occur. But, but that isn't what he was saying. That turns faith into being like some kind of magic or the power of positive thinking. If you believe that you can do something, you can do it. And the Bible certainly doesn't teach that. Indeed, rather the contrary. No, what Jesus was doing was picking up the man's conditional statement. If you can do this. 
had Jesus ever failed to exercise a demon? Had he ever failed in a healing? Had he ever failed to do anything? No, he hadn't. Jesus can do anything. And he is willing to help those who come to him in faith, indicating that they understand that they have a need and that he can meet that need. And then his response elicited from the man something which I think we can probably all relate to and empathise with. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I find that I can sit down, think things through, marvel at Jesus and know with crystal clarity that he is who he said he is. And yet, and yet, in some specific situations, I find that at one and the same time I do believe, and yet somehow I waver. Now, I don't know about you, but I suspect many of us experience similar things. And, and if you are in that position, then what happens happened next contains just the reassurance that you need and which indeed I need. Verse 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. In response to the man's admission of wavering faith, did Jesus say, well, in that case, what you need to do is go away, work on your faith, then come back and I'll do something. No, of course he didn't. You may have noticed during this sermon series that Jesus was unfailingly severe on those who did not exhibit faith. But he was equally and is equally unfailingly compassionate and gentle with those who do exhibit faith, even weak and faltering faith. Centuries earlier, Isaiah had prophesied uh, that Jesus would not break a, broker, break a bruised reed and that he would not snuff out a smouldering wick. And so it proved. This man came to Jesus with a weak, wavering faith and Jesus didn't reject him. He accepted him. He led him on and then he healed him. His son, that's what he does to those who come to him with faith, even a wavering faith. And I'm sure that what happened next immeasurably strengthened the man's faith. Just think about it for a moment. Jesus issued a command, come out of him and don't go back into him. And the spirit left the boy. There were no incantations no uh, ceremony of any kind, no fuss. Jesus simply spoke and it happened. And that's why 
if we put our trust in Jesus, we don't need to take undue interest in demons. We don't need to have an unhealthy interest in them. Jesus is the almighty Lord. He is supreme over evil. No ifs, no buts, no contest. Jesus speaks and it is done. That's as true today as it was in the time about which we're reading here. Now, Matthew, when talking about the rebuke that Jesus gave his disciples, said that tells us that he said that if they had the faith the size of a mustard seed, a proverbially small seed, they could move mountains. And what we've been reading about provides illustrations of that, a positive illustration and a negative illustration. The positive illustration is the father. He came to Jesus with a weak, wavering faith, faith as small as a mustard seed, if you like. But that wasn't the issue. By asking Jesus to increase his faith, he showed that his faith was in fact real. He was coming to Jesus with his need and seeking Jesus's help. And Jesus healed his son. The negative illustration is, of course, provided by the apostles. They followed Jesus, but they still had a problem. Now, that problem was not that they had a weak and wavering faith. If they had had that, we've seen from the example of the man, Jesus would have acted. The problem was that when they came to try to drive out the demon, they didn't exhibit faith at all. They exhibited self-reliance. And self-reliance isn't any use, even in an apostle who is seeking to do the work of God. I suspect that most of us won't find ourselves in precisely the desperate situation the man found himself in. But we will all have needs. And indeed, some of you may have particularly acute ones at this time during coronavirus. I suspect that most of us won't be called upon to drive out demons, but we are all called upon to do the work of God in our different ways. And we need to think about the examples that are presented to us here, whether it's in relation to uh, trying to solve our own needs or trying to do the work of God. Self-reliance is no good. We need to turn to Jesus in faith and see him acting through us. Oh yes, and there's just one final thing to note. If we do commit ourselves to Jesus, he will never give up on us. The disciples followed him. They exhibited lack of faith on any number of occasions, but Jesus didn't give up on them. No, he persevered with them. And the result? The result was that they went on to serve him by spreading the gospel and laying the foundations of the church. As we look at them, we need to see both a warning and a huge encouragement. In fact, we need to see the work of Jesus. Amen.